Kyle Bennett from Underground Sports Philadelphia is here to talk Phillies, plain and simple. I mean, the winners of the offseason, we'll get into that pretty easily. But I'm pretty excited about this episode. Dave and I had a blast. I think Kyle did too. And Kyle will be back very soon because of his performance, not on the show, but in general with how well he does with producing content. I mean, I think that they're on episode 113 of Underground Sports Philadelphia. So I hope you enjoy, guys. And if you're looking for Philly, Underground Sports Philadelphia is your place. Welcome to Painting Corners. Your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now, here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. Alright, so we are talking about the champions of the 2019 offseason. It's not even close. Like We're going to go over it. We're going to go down every position. Same thing. Kyle Bennett is here with us to talk about the Phillies. The Philadelphia Phillies, if you do not know, basically acquired an entire team this offseason, especially full of stars. I mean, two MVPs, former MVPs. Let's not like act like they were both recent. They were both in the past. But we're going to start at catcher. JT Rumuto was, requ- was acquired from the Phillies for Jorge Alfaro and a bunch of change, basically. Oh, and yeah, Sixto Sanchez, which... I mean, who knows how that's going to turn out for either side. What is the feel with JT, and how much better does he make this team as a whole? Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Um, I think JT Romuto is going to be a game changer for this team. As much as, you know, the guy that signed just last week that plays right field for my Phillies yeah, now he's okay. is going to be a game changer. Never heard of him. Uh, JT Romuto is going to be equally as important for uh, this Phillies team this year because not only is he now not getting in Marlins Park, his power is going to you know go up immensely. But with the young pitching staff, you know, outside of Jake Arrieta that the Phillies have, I think him being able to kind of just you know captain that pitching staff is going to do wonders for guys like Aaron Nola, who's coming off you know a top three Cy Young finish, Nick Pavetta, who I think is going to break out this year. And, you know, whoever else ends up being in the rotation, whether it's Zach Eflin, Velasquez, Eikhoff, Cole Irvin, Eniel De Los Santos, you name it, whoever's going to be pitching for this Phillies team, I think JT Romuto is going to be an insane upgrade for them this year. You said it. One of the first things you said was he's no longer hitting in Marlins Park. That place is an absolute atrocity. One of the unluckiest hitters all year based on advanced stats on balls that were robbed either because of how hard they were hit two people or the fact they were hit 330 feet and there's still grass in the field. He only had eight home runs at home last year. Yeah, and this guy can hit home runs. If we think about it right, everybody saw what Eric Hosmer, what, what Petco Park did to Eric Hosmer last year and how unlucky he was and how bad that ballpark is. Marlins Park is almost as bad as that, if not worse. The fences are 10 feet deeper than the average MLB park, especially in center. There is no way you get a ball out in the middle of center. I don't know. They should honestly should have just left the statue there because nobody's going to hit it except for like two, three times a year now that Stanton's gone. That ballpark's terrible. Easily one of the top five worst. Two of them were in Florida. It's true. The trap blows. JT was almost a four and a half war player last year in a bad ballpark. He adds so much. I mean, the amount of knowledge that he is going to have and the ability that he's going to have to talk to these people, 
these young guys how to command a staff. Maybe he can even help Nap a little bit, you know, groom him. But if we look past JT one more time and we look past Nap, is there any catcher in the system that's like ready for 2023? That's a great question because, like you said, you know, JT is only on a two year deal, so it's not a guarantee he'll be back. I, Still a great deal. I do think he will be back. I think they find out, you know, some way to give him a contract extension, whether it's during the season or after this year. Um, but Raphael Marchand has been turning heads uh, down in spring training. He's performed really well in the opportunities he's been given, you know, whether it's just in workouts or whatever. But his ETA, according to MLB.com uh, prospect list, is 2022. Not sure if that'll come to fruition or not, but he's probably the next guy in line for this Phillies team at the catcher position once JT, you know, either moves on or retires if he gets re-signed for a long-term deal. Yeah, I mean, that's a smooth transition on into first base. It's very interesting because this is a player that I love, and I think he's probably one of the best Instagram follows ever. I mean, Reese Hoskins is going to probably wind up playing first base. The Carlos Santana experiment's over. You know, Reese has only played 87%. I mean, he played 87% of his starts in left field. How are we kind of thinking he's going to do at first base, and what is a backup plan if he really struggles? I think Reese Hoskins moving to first base is one of the underrated moves of this Phillies offseason. Uh, I think him being out in left field was kind of, you know, a mental game for him as well. He was arguably the worst left fielder in the game last year. Kyle Schwarber was out there too. People forget that. Very similar. I think Kyle Schroeder was better than Reese. He might have been. Reese struggled a lot defensively. Reese struggled defensively more than anybody I've seen in left field in a long time. Uh, Him moving back to his natural position, I think, is a great fit for the Phillies' defense. The infield defense was terrible last year. Might have been the worst statistically, actually. Easily, yeah. Whether it was, you know, shortstop, second base, third base, first base as a whole. Easy on the shortstop, buddy. Hey, you know, last year was not the the best shortstop performance for the Phillies. but I wonder why. Who was Shut up, Dave. Year? Can we can we Shut your mouth. Remember? Who was there? Shut your mouth. It was uh, Scott Kingry, and when he decided to be healthy, it was J.P. Crawford. Oh, God that's damn right. it. That's right. That big bust, J.P. Crawford. I was just one there. Get out of here. Go take Carlos Martinez's uh, shoulder elsewhere. <laughs> um, get a little yeah, heated here, Reese but Hoskins, yeah. Reese Hoskins being at first base is a very underrated move for this team, and I think it's going to help a ton just for him during a game too i think it'll help him at the plate i think it's gonna help him in the field and it's gonna help the team win more games anytime i hear about somebody moving to first base all i can think of is Moneyball, and it's like <laughs> tell him it's easy watch it's not it's the hardest thing you could possibly do or whatever he says but i mean there, it's a whole lot better than having him in left field i mean he's a defensive liability out there you know the, the, we're gonna get to the outfield but the outfield's pretty good now it's pretty good. I mean, yeah, you can say that. We could, we could definitely say that. And there's even more to come if we're being honest. The outfield's very good now, and having him move over to first. Let's jump across the diamond quick. Uh, third base, probably the only question mark for the future, I guess. You have Franco there. He's on the team control this year and two more years after that. Is he the future? Is he going to be there, or is he going to be? You know, is he is he a placeholder? So if you know me. I am probably the lone remaining tenant on Michael Franco Island. Uh, that's me I and JP, think, so we're good. Yeah, that's, know, that's literally awesome, JP. I've been a Michael fan since his rookie year. 
you know, I think now that he is in this lineup with guys like Reese Hoskins at his natural position and not having to worry about, you know, playing defense at a different position, guys like Andrew McCutcheon, a healthy Cesar Hernandez this year, Odubel Herrera moving down in the, in the order as well. That guy, Bryce Harper, I don't know if you heard of him, him being here too. Uh, you know, JT Real Muto, like we said, just being surrounded by so many just professional hitters in this lineup is going to do wonders for him. He doesn't have to be the guy. You know, he led the team in batting average last year. Nobody would have ever thought that. Um, no, it, it wasn't a great batting average either, which yeah, for leading the team, last I should year say. 270, yeah. You know, not a lot of people, if you ask them who led the team in batting average last year, would have said Michael Franco, but. I think him being surrounded by all these professional hitters and kind of just not having to worry about as much as he has in the past is going to do wonders for him. And I could see him having a 25 home run season this year because he's going to be hitting seventh or eighth in this lineup each and every day. So I'm on your side of the fence there. I'm on your island with Franco. He only played 131 games last year. He only started 111. Batted 270, like we said. He had 22 home runs last year. I can, you know, with the protection in this lineup, with him probably getting, you know, more towards the 150 games, if he's healthy, I can easily see a 30 run home, you know, 30 run season from him. It, it, you know, and it makes a lot of sense. Doubles wise, he was a little bit under, usually he's around 20, 30, you know, close to 30 flirting with it. I think that goes up too. I like him there at third base. I think he will improve. He had a good bounce back year last year. The year before that, he batted around 230. He was a negative war player. So I think he'll be fine there. The guy next to him is one of my favorite players in the league. Right there with you. And I and both of our, all three of ours. And I think he's very underrated. I thought it was one of the steals of the offseason, even more than JT, even more than signing Harper, since technically you signed him for free. You didn't have to get anything up for him. Gene Shigera is going to give you every single year the same thing, which is great defense, a pretty high war player, over 300 average, and he's going to pop double-digit home runs, and he's going to get 30 doubles. That's what he does every year, and up and down to that. He's been phenomenal the last three years. He's done it on two separate teams, being with Arizona in 2016, then with Seattle, in another ballpark that's not great to hit in, I would say. I don't, I don't think I ever, like, yay, we're going to Safeco to hit. Like, not really that great. His contract is phenomenal, something that, as a Red Sox fan, I would love to get Xander Bogarts on something like that. We're going to get him on the other end of it, which is like 17, 18 million if he does sign. But Gene Segura is locked up at 14.9 or 0.8 given the year for the next four years. One of the best contracts in baseball. How important is he going to be into this team? But more importantly, where is he going to bat? Because I would love to get him between three and five because I think he's that good there. But I also could see him in second or leading off. Yeah, I, I love the Gene Segura acquisition uh i went viral on twitter because of gene segura i was just on instagram and he's like dancing in his car down in the dominican republic it was the day he waved his no trade clause it just went viral i ended up on the mlb twitter page so i'll always have an even more you know greater affinity for gene segura because of that gave me a little twitter clout um but i think he is going to be huge for this defense uh you know shortstop for the phillies last year was the worst in baseball uh, in every single defensive metric, whether it was Scott Kingry, J.P. Crawford, Esdrubal Cabrera, you name it, it was just bad. Um, so getting that upgrade with Gene Segura in there is going to be huge. Getting him out of Safeco, like you guys said, is going to be big just for him. Hitting-wise, I think he could flirt with 20 home runs batting in Citizens Bank Park. Um, 
and even kicking it back earlier before Arizona, he was batting, you know, with Milwaukee and not that friendly of a hitter's park as well. So he hasn't played in a hitter friendly park his entire career. So I'm excited to see him hit at Citizens Bank Park. I'm excited to have him, you know, manning shortstop for the majority of the season. Obviously, everybody's going to have their their rest days and everything, but he's going to be huge. As for where he is in the batting order, I think he bats second. Uh, I think he's a table setting kind of guy where he can move guys along. He's going to get on base. He can steal bases um, because I think that guy, Andrew McCutcheon, is going to be the leadoff guy. Um, so I think Gene Segura is going to be the two-hole hitter, and it just makes the lineup that much more deep, especially now that Harper can slide into that three-hole rather than JT Real Muto. So I think Gene Segura arguably – was the best acquisition for this team as a whole defense offense and just clubhouse guy. Yeah, I agree with that completely. We're going to have a whole like show about bold predictions and everything like that. I legitimately legitimately think that Gene Segura could wind up a top 10 MVP candidate next year just because of the ballpark conditions considering the guys around him, the protection that he has, the the amount of defense that he plays. This is the probably, and Kyle and I talked about this, and Dave and I talk about this all the time. This is one of the best players in baseball that nobody talks about. You know, we talk Easily. about guys about Anthony Rendon. We talk about guys like Gene Segura, JT Romito prior to prior to like a couple years ago. This guy is phenomenal, and he does it at every he does it every single night. This guy is the left side of the infield, Dustin Pedroia. He's gonna bat three hundred. He's going to play a bunch of games. He's going to give you extremely good defense, and he's going to pitch in where he can, either with the doubles or the home runs. It, it, it he's and Pedroia, you know, MVP type of guy, Gold Glove guy. That that's what you're getting now. in his prime. You got him at a great time. Yeah, I'm excited for Gene Segura, to say the least. There's an elephant in the room now that we're talking about Gene Segura. How do we feel about the package going away for Gene Segura? I mean, I feel it's fine because I'm not talking to you. Well, I'm going to say it anyway, Austin. Jeez. <laughs> I think it's fine because you got a guy in his prime on a great contract, and your team's continuing to win now. Your team's window is from now to no, 2024. No, I don't disagree with you. And I think, I think that's where this team needs to win. Who cares about 2024? Who cares when Harper's 36 and 35 years old? And no one right now. That's the way I feel about it. Yeah, I thought, you know, unloading a guy like J.P. Crawford and unloading Carlos Santana was – Honestly, the biggest fleece of the offseason. It get was Segura. phenomenal. Yeah, and, two bums. And you get James Pazos and Juan Casio into the bullpen as well. Um, you know, I was a big Carlos Santana guy. A lot of people gave him a ton of crap for, you know, his low batting average or whatever. But who cares about batting average in 2019? It's an irrelevant stat. Um, I thought Carlos Santana could have been a really good player here. It just nullified what Reese Hoskins could do defensively. And, you know, Matt Clintac kind of just admitted his mistake of signing him, moved on from him. He's back in Cleveland where he never really wanted to leave. So, you know, I'll always be a Carlos Santana fan. And J.P. Crawford just didn't work out here. Um, could it work out in Seattle? Sure. It's a team that's rebuilding. He's going to get chances to have at-bats every day, play in the field every day now. So who knows? I mean, I think it was just something that had to happen uh, for both sides, Gene Segura, and all the guys that the Mariners ended up dealing this offseason, whether it was Cano or Edwin Diaz or James Paxton, like they're just ready to rebuild. And they brought in a guy who they think could be the shortstop of the future with Crawford. And the Phillies get, like you guys said, one of the most underrated great players in this game right now, Gene Segura, to kind of that kind of set off this new wave of 
the Philadelphia Phillies and pushing that window to win as soon as that deal went through. This is like my goodbye to Phillies J.P. Crawford, okay? This is just a thing. I have <laughs> I to, to do get this. the Titanic music in here or something. I don't know why I'm so upset about that. I'm, I was like, when he got traded, I literally text Dave, no, with like a million <laughs> letters. And I literally asked why he stinks. That was that was my response. I think I'm 1,000% I'm sure that that was actually your response. But, uh, you know, when it comes down to J.P. Crawford, the window was just missed. I mean... You know, he had a window. This is when he was supposed to be ready for the Phillies. The Phillies were expecting him to be a number one prospect like he was. Never happened. It just never never came together fully. I mean, you know, all we talked about when he was coming up was, you know, he's pretty much all around. And then it was like, can, you know, now can he play second base? I think Kingry getting the contract that he did last year really discouraged JP. And I'm finally glad that he's going to get a fresh start. Just because, I mean, sometimes it just takes a mindset. We say it all the time. Another guy that I love who I think needed a fresh mindset was Luke Weaver. Both of them got it this offseason. So, I mean, nothing but the best for for Seattle, J.P. Crawford. But uh, Philly's Gene Segura is going to be pretty damn good. Definitely. That number two looks beautiful in red pinstripes. Austin, talk about second base and give us, you know, your your vision for second base and, you know, what what's the future there? Gabe Kapler apparently thought coming into spring that Cesar Hernandez was going to be the leadoff guy, but he came off that broken foot last year, so it's really hard to judge anything that he did last year because of the broken foot. Everybody knows how that is. I mean, we saw it with Xander Bogarts being Red Sox fans, and, you know, just the fact that how much an injury can affect you, Aaron Judge, guys like that. But if it's a foot, it's even worse. I'm very, very concern that he's blocking Scott Kingry is that the case and what are kind of the plans for second base moving forward after Cesar Hernandez or Scott Kingry even um I don't think Cesar's necessarily blocking Scott Kingry because when it comes to Scott Kingry we still don't really know what he is last year he gets the big contract to kind of just buy out his arbitration and um wasn't really that good last year. And I'm a huge Scott Kingery fan. Um, I think it was a lot of the whole launch angle thing being preached to him. And he was trying to just do too much and changed his entire swing from spring training when he was just absolutely on fire to what he did last year during the regular season. You go back and watch his swing. It's completely different. So hopefully, you know, with the Phillies bringing in a guy like Jason Ochar, the driveline guy has to really help develop with the, uh, the whole batting program that this team has could really help Scott this uh, spring training go around and get his swing back. I like Cesar Hernandez. I think he's a very underrated second baseman in this league. Um, you know, like you guys said, he had the broken foot last year for pretty much half the season. So take, you know, his second half numbers for what they are with a grain of salt because he was hurt. And, uh, He's a guy that I think now that guys like Andrew McCutcheon and Gene Segura are here, you can move him down to batting eighth or ninth in the lineup and kind of have that back of the, you know, batting order leadoff guy. And I just think he he gets on base. Uh, he does what he's supposed to. He's a clubhouse leader. He's one of the longer tenured Phillies on this team and in the organization. And I think Gabe Kapler just really likes him. I think he's just good for the clubhouse. And I think he's going to help develop Scott Kingery just from a learning standpoint and 
you know, once Cesar's, you know, contract is up and once they're ready to move on from him, Scott Kinger will just slide right in there. And I think he'll be fine. I think Scott Kinger is the guy of the future. I think Cesar Hernandez is the guy right now. Let's go ahead and break the fourth wall for a second. Our guy just won a game. Yeah, I was just going to say, breaking news, he gets his second win in spring training. We're now above 500, and for some reason, Cole has learned how to strike people out now. Hey, love when, de- when people develop. That's what we He need. walked somebody today, so I know he's going to be pissed about that. But He's all about controls. So you know he's going to be mad. But congrats to our friend of the program, Cole there. Let's go to the outfield. Get away from Cole Irvin there. Let's jump on the outfield. And the outfield was rebuilt over the winter. And the biggest name signed to a very good deal. Andrew McCutcheon is going to be in your <laughs> outfield now. And on a really good deal, three years. MVP. I mean, you look at that outfield list now that you move Reese Hoskins out of there. No other big names there. So to bring in a guy like McCutcheon is very good. You got Herrera there as well, returning. And, you know, got it. he's under a great contract as well. Two club years at the end of that deal, which is nice. And uh, they signed a guy named Bryce Harper to uh, a 13-year, $330 million contract. That they did. That, that they, they did. did. What, um, what a deal it yeah. is, by the way. It's, it's beautiful. Man, it's, it's a great deal. So before I turn the floor over to you, the thing with Harper, he can kind of be anywhere. Like, I would like to see him at the two-hole just because for the fun, like advanced analytics guys, like everybody wants their your best hitter to bat second now. So you got Mookie Betts, Aaron Judge, Bryce Harper, all these like guys Trout. are so good. Trout that's gonna bat second. So Harper kind of fits into the two, especially with the speedy guy like McCutcheon, who at 32 years old, a little banged up, he's still got some wheels and he's still smart. Bryce Harper does a lot for this team, right? He fills the big bat, he has protection, but he can also now bat second and bat 300, get those 100 RBIs consistently. We know McCutcheon and Herrera are going to bring to this team. What does Harper mean to this team? And what does it mean to the organization about where they stand right now? So he brings just a plethora to this team. You know, you talk about the big bat. He brings a left-handed bat to this lineup that's very right-handed heavy. Um, So I think that's big time. They really lack the big left-handed bat in this lineup for the past couple years. Uh, he brings, you know, the face of baseball is playing in Philadelphia. Sure, Mike Trout is the best player in baseball. I grew up, you know, 10 minutes down the street from Mike Trout. Um, he's the best player. Bryce Harper's the face of this game. You know, you put Bryce Harper's face up on a board, 50 out of 100 people are at least going to know exactly who you're talking about. So um, he brings that. He brings marketability to the city of Philadelphia. You know, he broke the Fanatics record for most jerseys sold in a 24-hour period of any athlete in any sport, and that includes LeBron James, which is mind-blowing. But baseball's dead, though. Baseball's dying. Baseball's dead, guys. It's a dead sport. Um, And he kind of just brings, you know, he's he's young, but he's a veteran. He's been in this league. This will be his eighth season, I believe, or seventh season. So, And he's only 26 which is crazy. You know, he was on this cover of Sports Illustrated at 16. It's kind of the chosen one is what they dubbed him. So he just brings a lot to this team on and off the field. I thought his press conference was one of the best press conferences I've ever seen from any athlete. Uh, He wanted to be in Philadelphia, obviously. No opt-out, no trade clause. And I'm just thrilled that he's here, and I think it was the right fit over Machado. You know, Machado has the – the defense and the offense, but 
I think the Phillies needed that marketable guy to pair with Reese Hoskins and Aaron Nola and Bryce Harper's that guy. You just said pair. You just said pair. You can't expect us not to go directly to this next thing. Is Mike Trout coming to Philly in 2022? 110% yes. Will you Mike guys Trout. be over the tax limit then? Because no, that's you can't why Harper's deal is structured deal. the way it is. Well, yeah, it is, but there's also some other deals there they got to pay. They're eventually going to have to pay Nola more money, you know, two years after that because his deal is going to end. Gene Shigera is still in the contract. You got JT Real Muto you're going to have to pay and whoever else. So you might be flirting with it, but... Jake will be gone. There's the money right there. Jake, yeah, Jake will, be will be gone. Cesar Hernandez will be gone. So Scott Kingery is still on that nine-year deal for $26 million, which is just insane. Yeah, that's um, a crazy deal. You know, Odubel Herrera could be gone potentially by then. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon will be on the final year of his deal. And I, I just it just makes too much sense for Mike Trout to not come. He, he's just he's too good of a player that I don't think he wouldn't want to win. And this team is set up to win for the next half decade, potentially, if not more. Um, he's only been to the playoffs once in his career and hasn't gotten past the Has wild. Has he been partner. once? He played once and it was again, or he might have been twice, but they haven't made it past the wild card. Right? I know he played against the Red Sox one year. He did play against the Red Sox. That, and he I think against, that was that John Lackey year, right? Yeah. And he played yeah. against uh, Kansas City in a wild card round. He's Tracy McGrady, basically, at this point. Like, it's except- just criminal that he hasn't been able to kind of get a spotlight on himself because he's he's hidden in a, a second-class organization in, in that city of L.A. It's not, even the bre- it's not even the best organization in that city. No, it's not. And, you know, how are you going to thing- No, sorry, go ahead. I'm just saying, how are you going to market the best player in baseball when after this season, they don't even know where they'll be playing because they haven't renewed a lease with Angel Stadium. So they don't even know where they're going to be playing. How are you going to sell your franchise player on your team when you don't even have a solidified stadium for him to play at? Yeah, no, it's, you're absolutely right. And it's, it, the MLB does an awful job at it. The Angels do an awful job at it. I don't think Mike Trout should have signed that contract extension that he did originally with them. But if Mike Trout signs an extension with the Angels, I do not feel bad for Mike Trout anymore. He does it to himself. He he literally, at that point, does not want to win. He just wants, he owes that organization nothing. They've given him nothing but old veterans who are past their prime, whose name looks good. Albert Hamilton, Pujols, Pujols Alpin, Wilson. Hamilton, Wilson. Kinsley, any Matt pitcher Harvey. that's gone through there. Harvey. Anyone that goes through there, they're... They're damaged goods when they get there. If, but if the Mike same Trout way, stays there, if Mike Trout stays there and signs a ten-year, four hundred million dollar deal, he deserves all the negativity. He doesn't deserve to be the face of baseball because he's doing it to himself. He could leave there. He could go anywhere he wants. He could go back home, which is big for him. He seems like a family guy. A lot of people have said he's close with people. He's a. He's we said a the same guy. thing about Harper. Money talk, and money talk. So you got the money that you could get at home. You could go back home. He should go there. It'd be ridiculous. Now, I think he ends up in Philly, even with Harper there. They can move money around. They would have to. They might be able to tax. Who cares at that point? Yeah. And John Middleton has said, you know, he doesn't care about the luxury tax. And like you said, Mike Trout is the ultimate family guy. I know Mike personally. Um, He's the ultimate family guy, ultimate just give back to his community type guy. You know, when he's here in the offseason, he's out at, you know, just Applebee's in Vineland or Millville, New Jersey. 
Yeah, he goes to that family place out. and gets like 15 cheeseburgers for lunch all the time. Yeah, I hangs out all the time. You know, he brings Carson Wentz to Philadelphia to find Yeah, they're boys. Yeah, that's uh, – I mean, he's a nice guy. Do you do you think that – do you feel the same way where if he just signs back with the Angels, you're like, come on, dude, like, like tell, you had it. First of all, tell Kyle why you feel this way. It's Evan Longoria syndrome for you. Oh, it's yeah, I hate Evan Longoria. I, I, he, <laughs> he was in his prime. He decided to stay at the Rays. To, he, didn't like, he didn't want to win. He didn't, care, he didn't want to deal with the pressure. And then he gets traded to San Francisco, another team that doesn't care about winning. No pressure out there. They won I mean, they go on, three World Series in ten years. They did. Do, does do you, when you talk about good baseball teams, great baseball teams, when you see MLB Network talk about how many times you hear the San Francisco Giants? Once every three years. <laughs> Not anymore. They're the equivalent to the New York Giants. They get on a hot streak and they win, and it was in a condensed oh, the time. Pats fans. I love that comparison. They, they fall, they, they fall apart. So you know, Mike, Mike Trout. He's he's a great guy. He's a class act. He's literally one of the nicest dudes in the world, and I think he's the best baseball player of all time already. I, that's my hot take that I say all the time with Trout. You gotta like at some point if he doesn't come home or leave the Angels in general, even if he goes to Boston, New York, the other LA team. Like, what's up with him if he doesn't leave there? I think he really likes LA. Um, he's kind of adopted it as his second home. But we've kind of started to see Mike Trout in interviews, especially this off season, kind of just start to slip up a little bit when he's talking about, you know, his future and how he's turned down contract extension negotiations with the Angels. You know, he had that interview where he slipped up and said, you know, I'm a I'm an Eagles fan. And he almost said Phillies. Um, you know, Mike Trout, when he was in high school, was outside of Citizens Bank Park tailgating for the final game of the World Series. Uh, a lot of people don't know that story. He was outside in the parking lot while the Phillies were playing the the second half of that continued game and was celebrating in the parking lot outside of Citizens Bank Park. So he's he grew up a diehard Phillies fan. Um, people will throw, you know, him being a Jeter idolizer out there saying he'll go to the Yankees, but he, he grew up through and through a Phillies fan. And I think he wants to come here. You know, he's an Eagles season ticket holder. Um, his wife is a teacher in Millville, so I think they eventually want to settle down and figure out where that's going to be. So I think Trout will eventually be here, and I think that's a big reason why Harper signed that contract for as long as he did and you know he said he wants to be able to recruit guys here the best of the best and he's got to show that he's going to be here and that's why there's no opt-out for him there's no trade clause and he wants to kind of just build this thing and be the uh the positive version of lebron james with recruiting players to their respective teams and i think mike trout is the first domino following bryce harper that will come to philadelphia and help you know, make Philadelphia the baseball capital of the world. So, question. Now that we just talked about LeBron James, how much do we think Bryce Harper got fined yesterday? Uh, I think it'd be silly if he got fined, to be honest, because if you go back and listen to his comments, he said, you know, we're going to let Mike do his thing and focus on his season and everything. But once 2020 rolls around, you know, he wasn't directly talking about this year. You know, he's a player. What are we going to find every single player for saying, man, I wish I could play with this guy, you know? You could go back to last season. Reese Hoskins came out and said when they were doing the Japan series, he was talking to JT Real Muto and said, hey, man, it'd be real fun if you were playing in Philadelphia. And, you know, look now, JT is here. But are we going to go and find every single player for talking about wanting to play with other guys? You know, are we going to find Manny Machado for taking a picture with Matt Kemp at the All-Star game? Like, I think it's silly. If it was John Middleton or Matt Klentak who said that, I could understand it. But players tampering, quote-unquote, I think is just – silly i just don't understand yeah they're doing it anyway 
they're doing it behind closed doors. Exactly. You know, they're calling each other up. I mean, Mike Trout was recruiting Bryce Harper to Philadelphia and helping him, you know, yeah, <laughs> the vibe of the city. And he yeah. doesn't even play for the Phillies. No, he so. doesn't. That's just this good guy, Mike. Just be like, hey, exactly. it's a good town here. You know, and it happened. It happened with Manny Machado and Aaron Judge last year. Yeah. And even as a yeah. Sox fan, I was like, this is just, this is so dumb. Like, oh yeah, it's all, it's all nonsense with that shit. Like, it, it's gonna happen. It's not a big deal. At the end of the day. You know, it depends. You what's find good for the somebody player. for having a conversation, like yeah, exactly, and, and not even a serious. Baseball's biggest problem too is you know they want to have these guys be marketable. They want to have these guys be these big personalities, and then you just go and pop that balloon, and with all this you know tampering stuff or whatever you want to call it, it's it's just really a bad look if they decide to find Bryce Harper. Let's go ahead and cover the rest of the outfield. We touched on Harper for a good ten minutes, as we should. I mean. Honestly, should have probably done it for 13, but, you know, we got 10 out of it. Let's be <laughs> real. It's fine. We got 10. We got the prime year. Yeah, we got the prime, we got the prime year. <laughs> That's a generous, generous prime age there. <laughs> we definitely used used our time wisely there. But if we look at Odubel Herrera and we look at, you know, his contract and everything that's going on with him, are there any, you know, outfield prospects that we need to be looking at? Are we talking about Hasley? Are we talking about somebody like Ortiz or Monik? And what what does the future look like in the outfield outside of Bryce Harper? So I love Odubel. I've loved him since day one. Um, I tell everybody my, my fandom story about him, you know, May 2015, I'm at a game. It's like, you know, he's, he's really good. You know, he's rocking the dreads. This is different for a Phillies outfielder. I like his swagger. Went and bought his, his player shirt. And ever since then, he's kind of just become this nice little player that the Phillies found in the Rule 5 draft. And I liken Odubel Herrera when he's on to this era of Phillies baseball's Shane Victorino. He was a Rule 5 guy. Um, he gets on base, he can steal bases, he's got that swagger, you know, you have the flying Hawaiian, you got Odubo Herrera being El Torito. Um, I think they're very similar. You look at their numbers, they're eerily similar. And, you know, if Odubo Herrera can stay focused this year, and I think that was a big part of his season last year where he kind of just lost his way, didn't really have that veteran push, and he came out and said that himself. Um, he came into camp overweight. Uh, he said, you know, he missed the, you know, the direction and guidance that Freddie Galvis and Andres Blanco gave him, but he, sh- he was the first player down in Clearwater this year. He showed up in December. So he's in shape. He's, you know, when he's healthy, I think he's going to be perfectly fine. The contract that he signed is beautiful. And I think they want him to be here, you know, whether it's the starting center fielder and if Mike Trout ends up being here, he could become the fourth outfielder or a left fielder or whatever it may be. But I think, the organization likes Odubel Herrera. I think Gabe Kapler likes Herrera. And I think he's an important part to this team right now. Future-wise, obviously you have Adam Hazley, you got Mickey Moniak, you got Jalen Ortiz. Um, those are like the three big outfield names. I don't think Dylan Cousins is an outfielder. He's a he's a DH in, in waiting. Um, Mickey Moniak, I'm not as high on him as most people are. He did have a great second half in the minors last year. Um, so I think he could potentially start turning the gears a little bit. I think Adam Hazley is the most major league ready of the three outfield prospects in the Phillies top 10 right now. And we could potentially see him in September as a call up. Um, I think he's more of a corner outfielder. And if they're going to go and trade for a big name starting pitcher, 
at the deadline this year, I wouldn't be shocked if Adam Hazley included him. We didn't really touch on him when we got to third base. We've been doing these top prospects, you know, getting basically everybody ready for their prospects for the future. When I say the name, Alec Baum, what comes to mind? I wasn't as high on Alec Baum last year when he was drafted. Unfortunately, he got hurt last year. He's now the Phil's number one prospect since Sixto Sanchez got traded. The only thing that really concerns me with Alec Baum and him being a third base prospect is one, his height. He's a big dude. And just his knees. You know, if his knees can hold up, I think he can be a superstar at third base. If not, he could potentially be a first baseman in the waiting. And who knows how that plays out with Reese Hoskins being here and everything like that. Uh, who knows how that plays out if the National League ends up getting a DH. Um, Which I, they should. I, I'm not a proponent of the DH, but that's ask, another story. Ask Cole that, about that's the DH. That's because you're a Cole guy. It's not even because I've never been a proponent <laughs> of the DH. Um, I like the strategy of the National League pitching and all that good stuff. But Alec Bohm, I think, one, if he can stay healthy. Two, if you know his knees hold up, and you know him being as big as he is, he's six foot five. Um, I think he can either be a, a superstar in the making, or you know the Phillies whiffed on another another draft. What do you mean another draft? How many have they whiffed on lately? Jeff uh, <laughs> Crawford. That up. Cornelius Randolph was a huge whiff. I don't know. I still don't understand that pick. Is a Pell still ago. in the system? Uh, he actually stepped away from baseball. That's probably a good idea. So, and I mean, we didn't draft him, but yeah, you know, that's did. another guy that they kind of whiffed on in a trade. Um, I still don't know how I feel about Mickey Moniak yet. I'm encouraged by what I saw last year, but right now he's still kind of up in the air and Adam Hazley's still kind of coming around. But that's the one thing that I've always had concern with the Phillies is just their drafting. They're really good with the international pool. Um, but when it comes to just the the actual MLB draft, it's been really hit or miss the past few years. And I just want to see them start hitting rather than uh, whiffing on some guys. And I hope Alec Bohm turns into this superstar that they want him to be. And Michael Franco, you know, I love him. But if Alec Bohm can turn into a power hitting third baseman and be the best third baseman we've had since Mike Schmidt, I'm about it. Damn, so, he dropped Mike Schmidt. <clears throat> Yeah, right. So jumping away from there, I know that we've said his name a few times. Before we get the to the ace of the staff, right? Before we get to the ace of the staff, Cole Irvin. Before we get to starting pitching, because I know Austin really wants to go over that. I want to jump and do relief pitching because it is the oldest part of your team. And that's why I want to hit it first, because we're going to go from old to young here, because the starting pitching minus Arietta is extremely young in their prime or not even in their prime yet. But your relief pitchers, you have a bunch of them. You have Nishak, Hunter, you have Robinson, who you just signed. You have a young guy like Sir Anthony Dominguez, who I'm very high on. What does the 789 look like this year? And when does Sir Anthony Dominguez figure it out and become a dominant closer in this league? So my take is Sir Anthony Dominguez is not a closer. Um, he's a bullpen weapon. I think he's just a multi-inning guy. So like an Andrew Miller type of guy? Yes, I think he's okay. an Andrew Miller. I think he's, you know, somebody that can come in, pitch multiple innings. I just don't think he's a closer. Not not that that's a knock against him. I just think he's better off not being slated in one inning 
No, especially I mean, in today's you, modern baseball, you need exactly. that guy. Well, the best weapon in baseball is Josh Hader. Let's be real here. Yeah, he's he's unbelievable. And I think if you can just use his versatility of being able to go an inning and a third, an inning and two thirds, potentially two innings, I think that's big for this bullpen, especially with the way that he throws and his dominance to just take over, you know, an at bat for for anybody in this league potentially. He's his ceiling is so high. Uh, I think Hector Neris showed a lot of promise after he got sent down, got called back up for the second half of the season. I think David Robertson's your quote unquote closer because Gabe Kapler doesn't like to give, you know, titles to, to bullpen guys, which I'm totally fine with. Um, but I think he's going to be the guy that gets a bulk of the saves. And then the rest of the bullpen is just kind of there and you pick and choose where you want to use those guys. I like guys like Yaxel Rios, Victor Arano. Uh, James Pazos, who was in that Gene Segura deal that we talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, Jared Eikhoff could potentially be coming out of the bullpen. Jose Alvarez, another underrated pickup of the offseason for the Phillies. I think the bullpen has a lot of depth and can be used in a lot of different ways. And I'm totally fine with the way it's set up right now because you can get bullpen guys almost anywhere. It's just a matter of them being effective. Time to go a little bit retrospect before we get to starting pitching. A couple of years ago, there was a rotation in Philadelphia that included the likes of Halliday, Lee, Hamels. Who was the other one? Was it? Roy Oswald. I love Roy Oswald. Oswald. Yeah. I love Roy Oswald. I live in Texas, so, I mean, it's kind of, like, required. But, I mean. And Joe Blanton was in that rotation. That's the one because that's, that's the Sports Illustrated cover. To where they're all on yep. it, and they're like, we're not going to do this cover unless Blanton's on it with us. And I was like, oh, that's yep. pretty cool. Uh, let's talk about this Cole Hamels trade that happened. Everybody was kind of disappointed with that deal. Can we all agree with that one? Did It It didn't work out for anybody. At the time, it looked good. But, you know, down the line now, as we look at it in 2019, four years later, it's kind of been a wash on both ends. Cole Hamels is on another team. The Phillies only have one guy left, two guys left, I should say, with uh, Jared Eikhoff and Nick Williams left on their active roster. Jorge Alfaro's gone, and Alec Asher is bad. That's all she wrote. What did you expect from Nick Williams when he got here? What was kind of everybody thinking he was going to be? I liked Nick Williams. I thought he had to put on a lot of muscle in order to kind of last, and we've still kind of seen that. I think he's, you know, last year he was Babe Ruth off the bench. Every time he came up to bat as a pinch hitter, it was a home run. Um, I just don't think, you know, now with Bryce Harper here, he can't play center field. He can't play left field. He's kind of stuck. And I wouldn't be shocked if Nick Williams won. I think the, the nice thing is he has two minor league options left, so they could potentially option him to triple a, or he gets traded at some point this year in a package for a starting pitcher. Send him to Cleveland. They have enough starting pitchers. Yeah. Cleveland's got a few that or, uh, send him to Arizona and bring me Robbie Ray. Oh, Robbie Ray. What a what a last couple of good years he had. Like it was like two years ago, halfway through the year, he just turned it on, hasn't turned it off since. I love Robbie Ray. He would he's my ultimate, you know, prize at the deadline for this team. That's thinking far in advance. I like that. Where does this rotation rank in terms of rotations of the NL East? Um, I would say it's third. You know, the Mets rotation is unbelievable it's, you know, it's ridiculous DeGrom, if they can stay healthy they're one of the best in the yes league. and that's they have a problem the, with that same thing for washington yep same, same thing, thing for washington. washington it's like that division um, yeah, Miami. pretty much um i think washington and, and the mets have the two best rotations though on paper 
you know, guys like yeah. DeGrom, Cindergaard, Zach Wheeler. Um, you guys are missing a dominant and, three. Yeah, you're missing that two, three with the Phillies. And whether it's Dallas Keuchel that gets brought in here, whether it's, you know, a trade deadline acquisition like a Madison Bumgarner, Robbie Ray, somebody like that, that's what they're missing. Um, and I mean, if Jake Arietta is healthy this year, I think that's another potential just off-season acquisition because that second half he was terrible last year, and come to find out it was because he had a torn meniscus. But I think Nick Pavetta takes a big jump this year to really solidify his spot in the rotation. And if you have that along with Arietta, and you get a mid-season pickup in the rotation, this Phillies rotation is right up there with the Mets and with the Nationals. Walk me through one through five on opening day. What you think, at least. So Aaron Nola is obviously the ace. Uh, number two right now, I would say, is Jake Arrieta. I think Nick Pavetta has the potential to surpass him as the number two on this team. Uh, Nick Pavetta being your three. Uh, I'm not a big Zach Eflin fan. I don't know what it is about him. I just don't like him as a pitcher. Uh, he's really only got two pitches, and that's it. And once you figure them out, he's beatable by no means. Um, Vince Velasquez, I, I like Vince. I just don't know if he has the control and the stamina to last as a starting pitcher. Uh, Eniel De, De Los Santos is an interesting guy. I think he could see some spot starts early this year, especially with all the random off days the Phillies have. Um, so he could be in the mix. I think Cole Irvin's in the mix for sure. Um, he's shown a lot so far in spring training, I think, to a lot of guys, you know, on the, uh, the coaching staff. So. There's a lot of options for this team when it comes to just pitching depth. Um, but I think right now the only locks for the rotation are Nola, Arietta, Pavetta. What would you consider the weakest part of this team outside of third base? The weakest part? It's it's hard. It's, it's really hard, to be honest. I, I don't even view Franco as a weakness, per se. I think the, the biggest weakness is, like we said, just missing that bona fide, solidified, number two, three starter in the rotation, and maybe just uh, another bullpen arm. But even that is a bit of a stretch because of the depth of guys that could be in this bullpen throughout the year. I think it's just that number two starter that they're missing. And once Arietta bumps down to a three, Pavetta as your four, that makes the rotation that much deeper. And this lineup is as deep as any in the entire league. Let's face it, he likes being stroked. <laughs> what what can you really say about Cole and you know what can, what do you think we can expect he got the dub today so I'd like to hear somebody else's opinion on Cole that isn't Cole's <laughs> yeah I mean I met up with Cole this past season at Citizens Bank Park when he was visiting um he kicked my ass in some NHL 19 <laughs> on his Twitch stream that's bad because he's oh, trash here we go. um that's bad we, we bought the game that night and oh, we were kind of labbing and then uh that's kind of how me and Cole's friendship started was over some NHL 19 on Twitch. And, uh, you know, I think he's a very good pitcher. I think he's very underrated. A lot of people just view him as, you know, this control guy, but you know, he can, he can hit the radar gun better than most. I think along with the control, along with him being a lefty, he's very valuable to this Phillies organization. And I think he has a chance, whether it's, you know, in April, in May, June, to, to get some actual starts on this Phillies, uh, you know, big league roster. And I think the sky is the limit for him. Um, he, he puts in the work, which is something you need to do, especially with him being a triple A. That's where you just need to get over that hump and kind of 
just make it. You know, he's the International League Pitcher of the Year last year. You shouldn't sneeze at that because most of the hitters in AAA are former major leaguers or guys that are just on the cusp of getting there or guys that are rehabbing. So he's facing some quality hitting. And uh, for him to have the past couple seasons he's had, I think he's deserved a, a chance to at least crack this rotation. I think he's got a legitimate shot. One of my favorite players when he was on the Red Sox, he's just a gritty guy, a very good dude as well. I get a lot of mixed reactions from Phillies fans that Gabe Kapler is not going to be the manager very much longer after the next couple of years, but he's more of an analytics guy. I don't think he's a puppet like Aaron Boone is in New York. I think he's a smart guy. I think that there is a place for analytics. There's also a place for the eye test as well. You got to be a good mix of that. You look at some of the better managers in the league and they can do that. What are your thoughts on Gabe Kapler? Is he going to be able to survive? Is he going to quote unquote ruin this team like some people think? What do you think of Gabe and how do you think he's going to manage the team next year? I like Gabe as a manager. I've been on board since day one that he was announced as the manager. I was like, all right, let's let's see how this goes. Um, I think a lot of people give him a ton of crap just from opening day when he pulled Aaron Nola after six innings when he was dealing, and that was kind of like the thing that set the forest fire off. Uh, with Gabe Kapler being the manager here, the whole analytics thing, I agree. I think there's room for analytics. I think there's room for the eye test. And with Gabe Kapler, now that he has an actual team to actually coach, you know, last year it was, it was plugging pieces in here and there, whether it was from injuries, whether it was, you know, the veteran trade deadline acquisitions that this team had. It wasn't a, a cohesive unit. Now that he's got solidified guys, you know, lineup and rotation that are going to play damn near every day, whether it's Bryce Harper, Reese Hoskins moving from left to first, Andrew McCutcheon being the veteran leader that he is in the clubhouse and on the field, uh, Dubal Herrera looking to bounce back, Cesar Hernandez having been here, Gene Segura, Michael Franco looking to bounce back, and JT Real Muto, along with this rotation of Nola, Arietta, Pavetta as the top three. I think there's a lot less uh, just self-pressure on Gabe Kapler to just plug guys in where they belong and not to mix and match lineups like he did last year. And I think that'll improve his managing skills a lot, not having to worry about making lineups each and every day where he can just slide guys in and that's all it is. So I'm Kyle Bennett. I'm the founder, host, CEO, everything of Underground Sports Philadelphia. You can follow us on Twitter at UndergroundPHI. Uh, we do two podcasts a week live on our Facebook page talking about all the Philly sports. And now that Bryce Harper's here, we talk about a bunch of Bryce Harper and Philly stuff, especially with the season right around the corner. Uh, we're giving away a free Bryce Harper jersey on our Twitter page. It's our pinned tweet. Just follow the three steps and you are entered to win it. Um, and it's whatever Harper jersey you want, whether it's the red pinstripes, the powder blue, gray, the cream, whatever one you want. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at KBIZZL311. Shout out to AOL Instant Messenger for that Twitter handle. Go AIM. Uh, Go AIM. <laughs> and uh, I, think, I think this Phillies team is going to be good. And I appreciate you guys uh, reaching out and having me on.